Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder of videos, and very late but here, tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to my behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream, Crafting Icewind Dale, in which I build right and prepare for our next session of two of... Ha! I did it! Fuck! Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. This is not Tomb of Annihilation. Oh, I'm gonna do that so many times. You're playing characters blank, 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 and blank, because I don't know my characters' names yet, uh, then this video is not meant for you, and there will be spoilers, but for the rest of you... Welcome. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday evening. Watch all of our D&D live series as well as reviews and Let's Plays on my YouTube channel and read weekly session recaps at RogueWatson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson and join our official Discord server. Invite link in the description below. If you would like to support the channel, go to Patreon.com slash RogueWatson. Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Tiny Dancer, Manuel, Wizard, Princess, Christopher, Star Loverly, Thomas, Ian, Captain Mike, Jeremy, Adam, Leroy, and Goblin Works. Gold Patrons, RPG Papercrafts, Charming Grenade, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcos, Dave, Vicente, Gilberto, Dizzle, Lizard, Lounge, Sam, Ross, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Fatboy619, Sklenny, Nick, Farty McButterpants, Blood Angel, Verones, The Fireworks Factory, and Baboon Baboon. Thank you all very much for your support. For our campaign, we use Roll20, and for streaming, I use Open Broadcaster Software with Streamlabs. I apologize so much for uh, rolling in. This is beyond fashionably late now. This is just rudely late. Um, I really and patrons know this, deciding when to do the start time every week, if it's going to be 10 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. my time, because I'm working around my uh, nine-month-old's nap schedule, and of course, I thought 10 would be the best time, but she went down really late today, so I was rushing around, and I'm still like, but we're going to do this. We're going to get back in the frame of mind, and we're going to talk about Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Shout-outs to all of you that stuck around in the channel for uh, like 20 freaking minutes waiting for my slow ass. I appreciate all of you. Uh, you did not miss much, Legends of D&D Storytime. You missed me being super late. <laughs> How embarrassing. Um, so yeah, this is our landing page. I hope most of you watched uh, part one. This is part two of the pre-campaign prep, which means we haven't started the campaign yet. Um, this week is, for those of you watching live, or if you're watching it this week, uh, is our epilogue and recap finale. Well, not the finale. The finale was last week. This week is just the after party for our current campaign, which, by the way, is going to include a lot of giveaways. It's going to be a big party. Uh, obviously, I've got a lot of contacts with DMs Guild creators, so be sure to uh, pop in for that and help celebrate the end of that campaign. And then next week, we are jumping right into Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden with Session Zero on April 30th. If you're watching this 
you know, weeks and months later, then you can just skip to the next video or whatever. But for those of you that are watching live, that's going to be the schedule. And then session one, of course, will be on uh, May 7th. I'm also pleased to announce, I don't think I've announced this before. I, no, I, I did that on Twitter. Um, I'm officially commissioning, uh, or I have commissioned an artist to do original character art for our D&D characters. That was a gift that I'm giving to my players. Although I also indulged in uh, commissioned a D&D, a, a DM picture as well, which I may replace my uh, YouTube picture with me. Because, it's again, that's that old picture of uh, me with the Tomb of Annihilation book. Uh, really, really pleased with the results so far. I'm very excited, which means technically I do know uh, four of my five party members as of, like, yesterday. So it's still very, very recent. Um, I don't think I'm quite ready to talk about the characters yet. I think we're going to save that for uh, the crafting before session zero, which will be next week, because session zero will be obviously the session where we create these characters in Roll20. All of us will be there, um, and we're starting this campaign at level two, so we'll be able to jump up to level two. Um, I can, I guess I can go over my character creation rules a little bit, but I kind of want to save a lot of this for the session zero uh, crafting which again will be next week. Um, and then that one, I will be spoiling who all the characters are and talking about how I'm going to start implementing them in the campaign because that's the thing I'm stressing about right now. You know, the whole time I've been prepping this campaign and I didn't know who my characters were. And that's something I, I definitely want to do better at in all the campaigns that I run is implementing all the characters into the storyline or making sure they all have their own individual story arcs just like a party-based video game RPG that you would play, like a Mass Effect or a Dragon Age. I'm using kind of the classic Bioware games as an example. Or, you know, Baldur's Gate, where they all had, um, you know, each of your individual party members had their own storylines that you could pursue if you had them in your party. And, and then, you know, usually doing that would unlock something cool. And I, I want to I do the exact same thing for me in Tomb. It worked out really well, and I want to do that here. Um, but the stressful thing is that's the last thing I know because the characters only this week... I guess last week I knew two of them, and then this week I knew two more, and then the flex position, uh, which is, of course, Chris. He's a sweetheart. He's, he's got, you know, multiple... If you're that person, and I'll raise my hand, when you're ready, excited for a D&D campaign, and you create, like, five characters, and then just stare at them going, oh, the possibilities of all of them. That is absolutely Chris. Um, he is the flex position, so he needs to flex into whatever uh, choice he needs to make. And partly that's, you know, me talking about, okay, here's what I think could work best, and here's the stories I'm thinking of. Um, but I'm needing to make all of those adjustments like this, you know, over the next two weeks, because that's going to be the big step for trying to implement this stuff. For example, um, the Reghead uh, Nomad tribes are a popular thing for the players to draw from. I think they were inspired by, like, Game of Thrones Wildlings, for example. And it looks like that I will need to implement them uh, more in the story than I was planning on, um, which is fine because I included that in the pre-campaign prep document that I gave my players. Again, Platinum patrons have access to all these notes. Um, and uh, I included, like, here are the major factions, which is basically 10 towns and the Arcane Brotherhood for my campaign. And then I put Redacted on there just to note that, you know, you don't know who the villainous factions are, uh, like the Dwergar and all that. And then here are the minor factions that could play a bigger role depending on if the players wanted to uh, be involved in those factions. So, for example, the Zentarum, the, uh, I guess, technically the Dwarves of Dwarven Valley, 
the uh, Goliaths of the mountain tribes. Basically, any kind of I kind of broke down all these different areas into factions and then gave that information to the players. I didn't say what their storyline was or what was going on there. I just mentioned here are the ones that exist in this campaign that you can draw from. And the Regga Nomads was one of them. And like half the party was like, oh, yeah, we want to be the from the Regga Nomad tribes. I was like, okay. <laughs> Which also means we need to talk about. I'm glad you said that, no fun allowed. Um, we need to talk about player secrets. And that may be a big focus of this week's episode because um, patrons know that I rewrote and redesigned a lot of the player secrets. I'm a big fan of the player secrets. I think it's a cool part of this campaign, so much so that I think it could be a part of all the D&D campaigns going forward. I just think it's a really neat thing to do. But it's a fine line to walk, right? Like you can't, you don't want to create something that's going to um, manufacture any antagonism or drama between the players. Like you don't want to have one player's secret be like, I secretly worship a demon lord and I'm in it for purely selfish power hungry reasons and I'm going to betray the party at some point. I think that's a very dangerous secret to involve because you're creating that kind of betrayal element. Even if you want players to be walking that side of, you know, good and evil or shades of gray, and even if you want to make a dark horror-themed campaign uh, in which players all have those, you know, secrets and they have a dark past and stuff, you're still playing a cooperative adventure. Like, you just... I'm very leery about including anything that's that extreme. But... You can play off that and include, which is what I've done, something like you were a former cultist. And maybe the things you saw or when you delved too deep into it, you were um, frightened or worried or disgusted by the things that happened. But that's a part of your past. And, of course, that could come into the light of the current campaign. Maybe you stumble upon, uh, you know, that cult here or they're still trying to hound you or something. Um, and what I've done is I've taken some of the secrets, and unfortunately, I just updated um, my Roll20 game a couple days ago, and I backed it up before I did the update, and I'm glad I did that. Um, well, actually, I'm still using the new one. This is the new update version. It kept most of my stuff, but it didn't keep any of my secrets that I had put into here, which is not a big deal. I just have to re-kind of upload them to Roll20. Uh, and unfortunately, I didn't notice that until before I went live here, so... You won't be able to see them in here yet, um, so I guess I can show them off more. Well, I guess I could sit here and drag them, because that's what we're doing, isn't it? Um, but I, I rewrote some of them. So those of you that are patrons, um, you we, we went through a lot of the secrets. I, I copy and pasted them, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about maybe rebalancing them, because not only am I redesigning some of the secrets, but I'm making them more uh, actionable. So instead of just being a story thing, I'm making each secret, and my inspiration for this was when you start a game of, like, Fallout or Wasteland, I don't know if the, I can't think of a fantasy RPG that did this, but I'm sure somebody did, um, where you can select a trait, at the, an optional trait for your character, and the trait would always have a positive and negative thing. So it's not like a free perk, but it's like, you know, your character... Um, for example, has a, you know, like a trait would be like your character has a greater chance to crit but a reduced chance to hit or something. It'd be usually kind of, they'd be, and it would be called like, you know, Berserker or something. And just be a way to flavor that character and kind of min-max them into a certain build. 
And a lot of times you wouldn't necessarily pick these traits and they were completely optional. But that was my inspiration for using these player secrets is they all had actual mechanical things. For example, if you're a former cultist, maybe you can cast a certain warlock spell like once per day or something. But when you do that, you have a chance to roll for a short-term madness. So a lot of the ones I used were they gave you a power, but if you used that power, it had a chance of backfiring on you. And that was the way I kind of tried to balance these things together. So if we want to do, I think I actually need to go to macros for this, although we could include them as handouts. As I mentioned, I, I re-edited them recently, so not all of them um, are still applicable. And one of them I completely changed. So one of the player secrets I had was the Reged Air, which is from the book. The book includes a number of secrets. Some of them are really good and some of them are complete bullshit. Where is it? There we go. So, like, the Drizzt fan. Um, how do you all pronounce that, by the way? I've heard, like, three different ways of pronouncing that. Drizzt? Dritzt? I don't know. I'm, I'm probably embarrassing myself somehow. But anyway, um, there, there's nothing. Like, it's just nothing going on here. Just It's a bullshit secret. Um, some of them are really big. Like, you get resistance to cold damage as an ability. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe these have abilities. Um, reincarnation is a cool idea. Slot host is fucking amazing. What an amazing player secret. This is like the gold standard of what a player secret could be. And this is the example of a player has a dark, dark secret, but it's not their fault, which I think is a really important, interesting twist on how to do a dark secret. If you have, you know, and for example, if they're blackmailed into like following a demon or something to where they have their motivations aren't necessarily to fuck the party over, which is important. But in the case of the, the slot host, uh, it's the classic xenomorph, you know, aliens thing, obviously, as the inspiration. Um, I'm definitely using this one. I haven't actually um, decided if I want to use slot because, unfortunately, Chris used a ton of slot in his campaign uh, to the point where we've, we can just kind of meta that knowledge a lot. So I may have to replace that with something. And I'm thinking literally a little bit more alien-like, so not as... not um, uh, sentient, more like a, a, mo a monster, just a hive monster or something would be a cool idea. So, uh, my example for, let's see, if I want to add a handout, how do I do that again? <laughs> add handout. Mysterious note. So this would be my version of, and they're all the something, so it's like the hunted, the faithful, the spy, the host, with the most... And we are going to drag and drop. I don't think I... I think actually I might have changed this one a little bit. But we're going to add it on here just so you can see it. Wasteland 3 did a lot of inspiring ones. I did play some Wasteland 3. Uh, I still need to finish that game, by the way. But yes, that was uh, certainly a inspiration. So notice how in this one I did not uh, mention Slod. Because I think it would be cooler if the, if the player didn't know what was growing inside them, and they can't use that meta-knowledge. They just know something implanted. Um, so in this case, and keep in mind, I mentioned the fact that we're starting our campaign at level 2. So as part of the player's beginning story, uh, they've technically already gone on a previous adventure, not necessarily as a team. I can We can work around that depending on who the characters are. Uh, but the idea is I wanted some of the party, at least some of the party, to be from the Icewind Dale region. That way they've got the ties and motivations to actually go here and help things. So they've already got the ties to Ten Towns. Although most of my party, it sounds like, want to be actually tied to the Reggae Nomads. Um, but they then left to go pursue their adventuring career, whatever that could be, being a cleric or a, a ranger or, or fighter or whatever. 
And then upon hearing about this horrible uh, Permanite that has aff uh, afflicted the land, they've returned. And maybe they've made some friends along the way, which is the rest of the party. Um, I still have to work around that. Like I said, I'm still figuring out who my players are. So, you know, how did they meet? What's the relationship there? Um, for at least one of them, I'm keeping escaped prisoner. They could literally find that person like having just escaped from uh, being an alien abductee. So that could be a really interesting start. So for example, and I, I don't think this is necessarily balanced yet, which we can, maybe I can get some uh, tips from all of you, which by the way, also, if you're watching this and you're not a part of our Discord server, definitely join that. And that is the best place to be able to discuss things ongoing. I'm usually pretty active on there. Uh, we've got a we've got a Rhyme of the Frostmaiden channel, which is more for like talking about the campaign non-spoilers. So it's like, hey, that was a really fun episode and that kind of thing. And then we've got a No Players Allowed channel because my players obviously have access to all those. We've got No Players Allowed where you can then dive into all of these uh, things that I'm basically talking about for crafting. So in the case of the host, it's the same thing as the slot host. This one already has a built-in negative trait, right? <laughs> like the ultimate negative trait, which is this creature chest bursts, you know, it bursts out of the chest. Um, I have not decided, because I don't even know if somebody's going to play with it, what the mechanics for that moment or when that moment's going to occur, or any of that, but that's already got a built-in negative. And some of them do have a built-in negative. One of them is just you're being hunted by assassins. So the built-in negative is you're being hunted by assassins. So I had to add positive qualities so that the character would maybe want to choose this so in this case the larva gives you uh, a chance to regenerate and i looked at literally this this slot stat box to see like what could i confirm upon the players again still not sure i'm actually going to use slots because we kind of use them a lot but you can gain temporary hit points every turn now i need to reword this uh, and do some more edits to where it's meant to be only during combat does this activate. So you can't sit there and game the system and be like, oh, well, I would keep rolling until I got, you know, max temporary hit points. It would be limited to uh, only during combat. And obviously temporary hit points, the reason I did temporary hit points is because they don't stack. So I feel like that wouldn't be too game-breaking, but I'm not sure if the scaling would be too much. So I, I, I started off at 1d6 and 1d8 and 1d10. Maybe instead I'll do like... 1d6 plus con or just keep it 1d6 it's very hard for me to come up with all these balancing things because players get these right at the beginning of the campaign but i want them to feel like they these things still contribute throughout the campaign and that's a very you know i don't want any of these secrets to be forgotten about and in many cases i want the secrets to be possibly what that character's entire storyline is about uh, you know, in terms of beginning, middle, and end for pursuing their story. For example, the hunted one, um, you know, there, there's a whole story there, and I just left it up to the players to decide. So uh, we'll keep this one in there for now. And yeah, I just kind of threw this together using the same backing and just kind of a, a Photoshop-type uh, program. I'm not very artsy-fartsy, so that's probably the minimum that I, the best that I can do. Um, let's look at... What else can I show you? Um, so let's look at one that has a lot of things I'm not sure is balanced at all. How are you assigning secrets to the players? That is a really good... I'm trying to keep up with the chat, by the way. I'm not doing a good job of that. Um, how are you assigning secrets to the players? Well, we've got two options for that, and I'm honestly not sure yet. One of them is I randomly deal them out, two to each player, and they keep one. These are the Gloomhaven personal quest rules. For those of you that play Gloomhaven or have played Gloomhaven, you deal out two personal quests, you get to choose one and keep it. Or, 
I can assign... I think I would do it by dealing out two secrets, but I would choose which two based on what I think would work best for the player. So they would be more like smartly dealt, if that makes sense. I don't want my players to necessarily choose, you know, just from a stack of secrets, because I definitely don't want them to know each other's secrets, obviously. So they're only going to ever know the ones that are dealt to them. So my options are just complete random draw, which could end up with some that are people just really don't like. I mean, hopefully you would at least like one. And that would be technically the most fair. But I once I know who my players are, I can easily look in there and see, okay, you know, this one would really make sense for you uh, more than any other player. So I'm going to make sure they get that secret. I haven't decided yet. And I'm, I'm tempted to even ask my players what they feel like. And then they'd, they'd probably go with just straight random. But I would ask them and say... I'd probably be open about it and just say, hey, do you want me to just randomly deal these secrets out? Who knows what you're going to get, but you can you get two and you can choose one. Or do you want me to kind of smartly pick them according to what your players are and me as the one who knows all these secrets based on which ones may work best for your characters? And I'm being presumptive here without necessarily knowing what would work best, but some of them would just possibly make more sense than others. But I, you know, without even knowing necessarily who all my characters are at this point, I'm still not quite sure um, if that would be the way to go. So I'm curious how all of you handled that in terms of the secrets. Um, oops, the spy. So that is a good question. Catching up on chat for a second. Play slot with a mind flare. Ooh, go through ceramorphosis. What is that fucking word? Ceramorphosis? Ceramorphosis? Something like that. Ceramorph, I think, is the word. I don't know what the verb is. Yeah, that is Baldur's Gate 3. Hags as a kid, and one of your eyes is a hag eye. Ah, that's a cool idea. Creepy as hell, too. Why not have the dice roll when initiative is rolled and scales of pretty bonus similar to second wind, something like the temp. Oh, yeah. The dice roll when initiative is rolled. I do have some that scale in terms of use. Because I liked, I think Tasha's did this, I'm not for sure. Some of them literally scaled um, by proficiency bonuses, like the number of times you can use a thing. I did like that, so I think I kept that for a couple things. So let's look at the spy. This is obviously drawn from um, Spy Secret, which specifically says I'm a spy for the Harpers. Now here's my problem with the player secrets as written. First of all, we already looked over, some of them are just fucking stupid as hell. I also think it presumes too much on the players that the DM is writing their story for them, which I already do a lot of story writing, and the players, you know, who they are and what they're all about is, like, the main thing they have control over. So instead, the bare minimum, I think, adjustments the DM should make here is make it more vague. You can still be a spy, but you don't have to be a spy for the Harpers. And I said, you secretly work for a clandestine organization, either good-aligned, like the Harpers, not-so-good-aligned, like the Zentarum, or a custom organization of your choosing. You're loyal to the group at the start of the adventure and are sent to Icewind Dale as part of your mission, but it's up to you how that connection persists throughout the campaign. So I've opened it up to where you're a spy, but you can choose the entire nature of your organization that you work for. Seramorphosis. Thank you. Um, now with the actual ability, 
And this one, as I'm sure you'll maybe balk at or you'll nod sagely, we'll see. As a trained spy, you have advantage on insight, stealth, and deception checks versus humanoids, and you're proficient with the disguise kit, if not already. You also have advantage on checks and saves to escape or avoid being grappled, restrained, or paralyzed. That's all the benefits. However, the negative. You never rush in without seeing everything from all angles. You have a disadvantage on initiative rolls. So I include a lot of benefits with this one because I think the negative is a big one, right? Like getting disadvantage on initiative rolls is pretty bad. You're generally not going to act early in combat. Now, it could be that, you know, somebody likes the ability to work with all the... And, and maybe they just like the story aspect even more and they can accept the mechanics. Or it might be the case where they look at the mechanics and say, yeah, I really like these mechanics. And then, okay, let me work around the story and make it a part of my thing. Or it can just be a footnote. I mean, it really... The secrets could be a major part of your character arc or it could just be something on the side. Now, some of these are a major party of your character. For example, the biggest one that I kept, uh, which is, of course, the doppelganger one, which is called Doppelganger Secret here, but I have called it... I can add a new one on here. And like I said, I apologize it wasn't set up beforehand. I thought these... I had these all in here, but uh, when I updated the Roll20 module, it deleted them. I called the doppelganger one the liar. And this is the one, pretty much the only one that I kept beat for beat. I even included a warning. You're actually a doppelganger currently taking the shape of character name. However, I suggested to the players your motivations for why you're doing this are entirely up to you. Did you kill them and take their place? Are you just imitating them because you're a fan or you like them? Or maybe you did so at their request. Maybe they wanted to fake their own death or they wanted to be at two places at once. Maybe you know the person. There could be a whole relationship there. And maybe the person that you're imitating comes into play and I can use that as a villain. Like there's all kinds of options that I went ahead and inserted in here just as a kind of prodding to the player to say, hey, here are ways you can implement this secret. And then the abilities of this one is basically the exact same. You are actually a doppelganger. I did make sure to write down the rules that... Um, you don't just turn into doppelganger hit points if you get, because I think that gets a little weird with the fact that you're still a player character of a race and class. You don't get any of your racial features. You get the doppelganger ones instead, but I don't want it to be like a polymorph situation where if you go down to zero, you just revert to your doppel and you've got all those other hit points that just felt too game breaking to me. So instead you're going to keep your hit points. I did mention the fact that if forever, if you're ever stripped naked or something, which uh, then you have an AC of 14 as a natural hide, I guess, that doppelgangers have. And if you're reduced to zero hit points, you revert back to your form uh, while unconscious, or I guess if you're unconscious. Which is interesting, because this is a secret that could come to the light of day and could be very, very cool. But I don't want to make it so the character is necessarily evil aligned. You could be a doppelganger for whatever reason you want. Uh, that is obviously the most, like, holy shit game-changing, because the player... Uh, suddenly doesn't get their racial features. Now, this brings up a good question, and somebody might have asked this in the chat already, is when do you give out the secrets? And that is also something that I'm trying to wrestle with because some of these secrets are such a big deal. I mean, the liar is completely like, you are not that race. You are a different race in disguise. That's huge. Uh, changeling's not a bad idea. What is the changeling trait? I need to look that up, actually. Do I have it on here? Okay. Change. Well, changeling. 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 I do not have 
What is Changeling from? Is that an Eberron thing? I'll have to look that up somewhere else. I don't have it on here. Um, but the question is, when, when do I pass these out? Do I do it at the start of character creation so the players can work around the fact that maybe they've got... I mean, they have already know who their characters are. I'm commissioning art. It's going to happen. Um... So they're already locked into what their characters are going to be. I'm hoping we can actually have this art to show off by session zero. It's a very aggressive schedule for the artist. Um, very aggressive, but we'll see. For sure, session one. But I would love to show off all the character art to session zero. And I'm keeping it um, private from each other. So obviously, the player gets to make their approval on the art. But I'm not showing each other's art. We're not displaying them publicly until that, again, hopefully session zero, but maybe session one. Um, but when do I actually pass out these secrets? Do I do it at the end of character creation? Um maybe during. I just don't know what the proper timing is because this is a completely new feature that we're doing. And I'm not sure what the right answer to that is. I've I've kind of gone back and forth. I don't know if I want to do it. I mean, if you do it at the beginning, maybe it gives them a chance to plan a little bit better. Um versus the but the end, it would make sense once you've got your character all ready to go. It's like, okay, here's your secrets. And I'm worried I I have mentioned to my players, at least I'm pretty sure I did, that these secrets are coming. Um and that maybe because the problem is what if they have this big elaborate backstory and then i deal them these secrets and both secrets are like well this doesn't fit my story at all so that's the problem i'm running into here vague descriptions that fit their character and let them choose yeah so in that case you're doing what my second option is which is um well i guess that's not quite because so you're saying you actually gave them descriptions of all the secrets and let them just pick and choose that's not necessarily what i want to do i don't i just don't want to open it up to uh to that degree because i don't want people to know what all the secrets are but my other option would be to kind of smartly choose them based on the player but how do you choose which one would be a good doppelganger like that's that's a really tough one to choose i'm not sure about that um in terms of let's see what's another ability that i added on here Add handouts um so one that i had to completely change that i'm changing i still need to put the whole thing together, is I had one that was based on uh, this one, Rigged Air. Um, which, by the way, I don't really, I can't do prerequisites because I'm not coming up with, like, 20 of these. I only have 10, so I'm only planning on giving my players, uh, which I have five players, so two each, and that would be all of them because I'm having to come up with new mechanics and things like that. So I'm like, I want these all to be seen, not necessarily chosen, obviously, but seen. Again, this one presumes too much of the player especially because and i was originally going to include this one keep in mind but my players when they started coming back to me with their character ideas said oh i want to be part of the rigged you know i want to be from the rigged tribes and from like this tribe or that tribe and i'm like oh crap so if i include rigged air as a secret what if that goes to a third player who had no interest in it and suddenly they're the most important rigged person versus the other two that actually wanted to be part of the tribe so i was like this is too this is getting into that too. It's too presumptive of the player's backstories. So I, I just, I had rules and everything like abilities. Those of you that are patrons, you might have remembered this one. And I'm nuking it because I don't want to presume anybody as as that secret. Instead, that it's probably it sounds like it's going to work into at least one or two characters' complete personal arcs as being from these tribes. Um, or I'd have to straight up assign this one. So you can see this is the big problem I'm running into. Give them the secrets ASAP, they can adjust race or but but when? 
Do I do that at the beginning of... Is that the first thing I give out in session zero? Because again, we've got... We're not making any adjustments to racing class at this point. We're, we're getting an artist to commission our art. People are confirming who their character is going to be with each other. I don't want them to change who they are based on these secrets. Instead, I want these secrets to support who they are. So that's the thing I'm looking at. I don't want to presume too much of what they are, what they're all about. With the caveat that I'm still keeping the doppelganger one because that one's fucking crazy and hilarious. Um, and technically, you could still use the art. <laughs> it would just be, you know, not the real person. Two schools of thought. Make the PC around the secret or the secret gets added to the PC. Yeah. As a monkey wrench. Yes. And that is what I am leaning towards. I just have to be careful with the secrets that I'm designing, I think. One before and one. That's too many secrets. Okay, so beginning of character would mean that's like the thing we kick off character creation for with the caveat that, again, they're coming to session zero with the characters already planned. We just haven't... I'm saying physically. Obviously, we're doing in roll 20, but we haven't physically built these characters yet. So we haven't... We're going to roll stats. Um, we're going to add spells. You know, level them up to two. All of that is happening in session zero. Um, I guess I'm giving out, like, trinkets... Uh, my players get a free feat at level one, which is something we're changing for uh, this campaign. I just think that's a cool idea. I saw that somewhere that people give out uh, feats at level one is to help people better like specialize their characters early on. I think that was a really neat idea. I'm totally adopting that. Which means the players are gonna have a lot of extra abilities at the beginning. They'll have a free feat and they'll have the secret that gives some kind of um, ability. So I think I'm nuking the ones that presume a little too much of the players that would change their story too much and instead doing it like the spy where it's like you're a spy but you can completely choose um, what your organization is and you can even come up with your own organization if you want to and some of them aren't even that presumptive like uh, for example let's do um, do this one as an example before session zero but see don't you all want to see that keep in mind this is a live streamed dnd show don't you all want to see the reactions they have upon seeing some of these secrets i know i do i want to record that shit uh and i want to stream that i want to make that a part of the session zero i think that's a huge cool part but you're right it could be something that uh you know the player should know earlier on. So this is obviously a redone version of uh, Reincarnation. And the storyline is basically the same. Um, You died at some point during your adventure, but you were brought back to life. However, I mentioned, of course, someone or something had you resurrected. Who and why is entirely up to you. So again, this is just part of your story. Like, this happened at some point. And this could either be a random footnote that's like, okay, I was resurrected by just, you know, whoever I was working for, and that was that. Or you could turn this into a major element of your story and say like, oh yeah, I made a, you know a, a demon resurrected me or something, or um, a a powerful lord had me paid to do this, but now I'm indebted to them, or you know whatever reason you've got that could be a big part of your story. So this one works, I think, very well to being as big or little as you want. And of course, I added an ability on there. Um, that says you gain the Relentless Endurance trait, which, um, unfortunately, I, it looks like we are going to have a half-orc, so I have to be careful that uh, she does not end up with this particular trait, because I believe this is the, this is the exact same thing half-orcs give you, uh, which I, 
I did this a few times. I included like elements from other classes and races as the ability. Um, but the problem is I'm realizing, and obviously I designed this before I knew how my players were. And I'll go ahead and tease the fact that uh, there is a half work that I just knew about yesterday. So I'm like, crap, do I keep this or not? I think it's a cool ability is, is the Relentless Endurance. When you're reduced to zero hit points but not killed outright, you can drop to one hit point instead. You can't use this feature until, feature until again, a long rest. What I could do is just say you gain another use of the feature if that really comes up where you technically drop to zero hit points before, you know, long rest more than once. But it, it, that wouldn't be as exciting if you already had that. You just, like, add another feature onto that. And then the negative part of that one is you have disadvantage on persuasion and deception checks um, and animal handling checks because you have, like, an aura of death around you. This is something conflicting. Would love to see the reaction, but the better for players don't... I know, it is. That's why I've been wrestling with this and why I've spent a big time talking about this. Great Weapon Master and Sharpshooter banned to level 4. That makes sense. Honestly, the easiest fix for those is to make it a die roll rather than... A, as somebody who used Sharpshooter in this last campaign, I agree that they are broken, especially in the upper levels when the hit to attack doesn't affect you. And you have things like fighting style archery or whatever. Um, I don't know why it's a straight 10 extra damage. That makes no sense to me when everything is based on a dice. Like if they said it's a it's a 1d10 or a 1d8, like I think that's the easiest way to instantly balance that trait. But the fact that it's a flat 10 damage is insane. So yeah, that makes sense that you would ban those. What about assign ones before and give them a choice for a week? Then session zero they can choose to keep or choose to... So it sounds like you all are really a fan of actually giving these secrets out earlier. One by one at the very start of session zero. Secrets are secrets, so would you intro? Well, right, so the tricky thing is we would, I'd pass them out or randomly deal them out and then they would see them and then they would have to whisper to me which ones they're picking. I just think it'd be so much fun to be able to see players' reactions and be like, oh God, or oh shit, or okay. <laughs> Um, that would be just a gold mine on some of these. Um, I'm hoping there's a way. I don't actually know how roll twenty works. I know that these are included as a deck of cards. I'll have to play around with that, um, and I'll need to add them manually because um, I'll need to replace all these with the ones that I had. But you can actually deal these cards out to players. I I assume as the DM I can see which cards were dealt to which players, and then we can see them all from there. But yeah, that's the, I, I'm really, I'd really hate to lose the giving the players the secret during session zero thing. I'd really hate to lose that, because I think that's such a fun part of the character creation of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Um, but I can see the point behind it. But I am open to giving the secrets out at different points during session zero that could be the very first thing it could be the very last thing um but the problem with making it the very last thing as i think no fun mentioned in terms of the monkey wrench uh some of them are a pretty big fucking wrench <laughs> you know some of them like the return you can be like okay i can work with this and then the liar's like what the hell is this this completely changes i was not prepared for this and you hope that the person who got that one got another one that wasn't obviously a big deal like the only bad thing i would feel about the random secrets being dealt, at least the ones I'm using, is if one person got both the liar and the host, that could be real nasty for that person. Because that means they're either a, a fucking doppelganger or they're a ticking time bomb ready to explode. 
which that could be rough. Which again, the, the other option is I'm dealing them smartly out to my players. Players are pretty clever. If they have a choice, they can make the secret work, even if it isn't a perfect fit. They'll have the other deploying early again. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the uh, vote of confidence. Give two secrets actually stick with each PC. Yeah, I mean, that's... Oh, like, you have to do two of them? Yeah, that's that's certainly an option. Um, that's probably too much. But I'll tell you right now, the ones that I'm keeping or, or re-finangling, and I'll be able to show these better uh, next week, which, by the way, we're going over because I only started like 40 minutes ago, um, is, uh, so you, you saw the doppelganger one, which is the liar, reincarnated, which is the returned, um, spy secret, which is the spy, and slot host, which is the host. So, so far you've only seen ones that I have, um, uh, modified. Um, I think, I'm trying to think of which ones are completely new versus, so, uh, one of them is, Shit, I didn't mean to do that. No, oh, I just sorted them. I didn't mean to do that. Oh, well. <laughs> Is there a way to unsort that? Add handout. Um, one of them is... So, Midwinter Child and... Is there another one that's like this? Let's see. I think so. I'm taking Midwinter Child and making this one. This one may be a little presumptuous also, frankly. Uh, this is the Faithful, which means you are secretly a worshiper of Aurel, the Frost Maiden. Um, and this one I probably don't have very good balancing for, but the idea is you have resistance to cold damage, which again I'm getting from Midwinter Child, but you have vulnerability to fire damage. You also gain the Aurel's Embrace ability, which means as an action you can cast the Armor of Agatha's spell without using a spell slot or regard, or requiring material components. The spell's level equals half your character level rounded up. Because I thought it'd be cool if that spell actually scaled with you. Because I think Armor of Agatha is an awesome spell. I use it all the time with my Paladin Warlock. Um, and you can use this feature once per short rest. Now, that all might be too powerful. Because the level scales with you and it's on a short rest. So that may be too much. Um, and I think the one I changed... Oh, you know what? I didn't include my changes on here. So I actually uh, modified this one. Because I thought that was too powerful. And said, um, whenever you cast this spell, oh, you know what? I did change it. Instead of being per short rest, I said you use the feature number of times per day equal to half your proficiency bonus rounded up. And I did not, and I removed the um, the spell scaling. And I said that whenever you cast this spell, a spectral um, like snowflake appears to where people would probably recognize it if they knew what they were looking for. And you, you, could, you could try to hide it as a player, but that's something you'd have to watch out for that would kind of mark you as a follower of Oral. And I added another negative because I felt like you've got the cold resistance and the fire vulnerability that cancels each other out. And then I gave you another ability, so I need to give you another negative. And the negative was your vulnerability makes you afraid of fire. And if you take fire damage or start your turn within five feet of a source of flame, you must make a DC 15 whiz saver become frightened until the end of your next turn. I didn't include that in here because I've been literally updating these as we're going. And unfortunately, I can't simply edit this because this is done in a Photoshop program. So I'll have to go in and make those changes. But that's an idea of the faithful. But I don't know, is it too much to make somebody a worshiper of oral? <laughs> that might be too presumptuous. Um, I am keeping the escaped prisoner. I think that's a really cool one. 
and we're calling that one. Uh, what are we calling that one? Just the escape prisoner, I think. Tomb of Levistus. Oh yeah, I like armor bag at this though. I think it's really cool. That's one that's like a reaction. It's the ability. Um, Heroes of the Storm has uh, several abilities like that called Ice Block, where you literally just uh, form. In, it's the exact same thing in D and D. You just form into a block of ice whenever somebody attacks you, and then you remain in there. Um, so you're affected by aliens. This is uh, pretty much very close to Escaped Prisoner. I love this one because it specifically uh, is built into this campaign where there is literally a location players can go and, and that's part of their, that'd be part of their main. I'm really hoping somebody picks this one, frankly. However, uh, notice that I did not mention Mind Flayers anywhere. Same thing with the Slot Host. Like, uh, you don't know. You were abducted by aliens, but you're not sure. You don't, your memory's fuzzy. You don't know what's going on, because I want to make that more of a thing. I did say uh, tentacled humanoids thrusting you inside a crimson-tinted crystal sphere. And you woke up sometime later and crawled out of the shattered crystal, crystal sphere to find yourself in the tundra of Icewind Dale. Now, I added... That's... I, I added a trait that is that is a ability that has a negative. Which I've done this a couple times. So, uh, you have a new psionic power based on the... Uh, circumstances you were in called Mind Tickle, and I basically copy and pasted this from the little gnome squidlings that are in the uh, It Ascendant, where you can emit a psychic energy field in a 30-foot cone. It does no damage, but it can stun everybody, which is huge. Um, however, when you use it, you have to make the same save, which I think is a pretty big negative trait. So whenever you use the ability, it can potentially be very powerful against a group of enemies. You know, intelligent saving throw is usually a pretty good thing to exploit. But you have to make the same save whenever you use the feature, and I scaled it for proficiency bonus, so you can number of times per day. I mean, I think I'm going to do half instead of straight up proficiency bonus. That way, at level 1, you can use it once. At level 3... Uh, let's see, when does proficiency go up? Maybe it's level 5, you can use it twice... It just feels like if I do half proficiency instead of proficiency, that actually scales pretty well to where you're not using it like all the time, but you can use it a couple times. That's interesting. Make it so Oral granted this gift regardless of the PC's faith. I wonder why she would do that. That is interesting. Um, players know maybe they can work with me a little bit on these secrets, and like that's a good, that's a good concept if. Um, if a player were to say, well, I don't necessarily, you know, can it be like an unwitting thing where I'm like cursed by oral or something? Then I could be like, yeah, if we want to work it that way, we absolutely can. So that's something I'll need to tell the players as well. When I get these secrets, be like, hey, you know, I, some of these are more open-ended than others, but you can get with me and, and talk to me about how you want to flavor this secret to make it work for your character. That's absolutely something we can work with. So, unfortunately, I'm adding these to here, but I'm actually need to probably redo all these because I've got some adjustments to be made. Um, one of the craziest ones that I added, and I'm also going to have to change this one because it's nuts, but I'm going to go ahead and add it anyway so you can see it, see the visual representation of it. I didn't necessarily uh, meant to talk about just secrets here, but I think it's a good thing to talk about. Again, hopefully you got most of my story stuff from last week. Um, this is obviously based on the pirate cannibal, but... I didn't want to presume the player was a pirate. So, is this the right one? I think it is. Again, I'll have to adjust this one because this one has too much information on there, as you can tell by the teeny tiny text. So, 
This is the cannibal, which just says you're the last survivor of a herring ordeal that left your group in an intense survival situation. You are forced to eat one another to stay alive. By the time you were rescued or escaped yourself, you were the sole survivor. On the plus side, you've acquired a taste for human flesh. So this is definitely based on like a Fallout or Wasteland one where you could eat. I think I think Fallout literally had a trait where you could eat people. Uh, you could eat corpses. Uh, I guess the same thing. Um, Although in Walking Dead rules, you definitely had to eat the living. You could not eat dead people. That was that would make you sick. Um, so in this case, by spending 15 minutes, you can feast on a humanoid corpse that has been dead no longer than one hour. Eating a corpse allows you to regain hit points as if you were rolling a hit die, basically. Equal, and it scales. Equal to your character level, rounded up. Uh, you know, I don't spend any hit die to do it. But I wanted, obviously, a negative here. So I added the benefit that when you eat... You gain a well-fed die, and you can use that to roll a d6, basically like a bardic inspiration on anything that you do. Uh, so the idea is you want to, you know, it's obviously a very taboo thing to do, but not only does it regain hit points, but it actually powers you up, and you can actually store some of these well-fed dies. However, anytime you roll a 1 on your well-fed die, you are overtaken by the curse of the Wendigo. Now, I, I wrote down exactly what happens, and I'm going to delete all of this in my edit because I don't want the player to know what's going to happen. <laughs> I realized that after I made this, I was like, why? T it's, it's similar to the slot host. Like, why tell the player what's going to happen? Instead, I'm just going to say, you are overtaken by the curse of the Wendigo, dot, dot, dot. And the player has no idea what that's going to fucking mean. And I'll tell you what it's going to mean. It's going to mean they're going to transform into a Yeti stat block and immediately go berserk and attack everybody. They're going to gain temporary hit points equal to a Yeti. And just turn into that beast that the players then have to deal with. Because I love the idea of a player going berserk and the players having to put them down. <laughs> now, you may be wondering, Eric, you just at the beginning of the stream talked about how you don't want to create animosity between the players. Yes, but it's an unwitting trans... It's basically like having somebody with the classic like werewolf lycanthropy. Except there's no good werewolf rules in the player's handbook. So I just came up with, well... And I wanted it to be, it's still a choice the player has to make. So originally I was going to be... Like, it happens every time you feed, or there's a chance or something, but I was like, alright, instead, you can feed as much as you want, you can gain, you can do that. But, if you want to use the dice that you get, the well-fed die, uh, then you incur a chance. And again, it's a 1d6, so there's a 1 in 6 chance every time you use the well-fed die. So there's a lot of barriers for the players to make that, a lot of uh, hurdles for the players to go through to get to that point. So I'm not thinking it's going to happen all the time, and it's still ultimately their choice. It's their choice whether they ever want to use those well-fed dies and then take, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, although based on the some of the characters playing, there'd be a lot of characters that fit very well with this. Uh, poor Reese has already been through the Berserker one, yeah. Um, but I think, and the first time it happens, is going to be fucking incredible if somebody takes a secret. So, but I'm I'm adjusting it to where I'm deleting all the stuff that actually includes the uh, information. I also included the fact that um, you can choose to feast on a non-humanoid corpse, but you don't regain as many hit points, and you must make a con save or gain the poisoned condition. Because I don't, I just haven't looked and seen like how many, how often the players actually fighting humanoids versus other creatures. I hate to limit the player that much if they want to take advantage of that ability. So that's an example of one that I took a secret and just ran away with the mechanics for it. Yes, do go check out No Fun Allowed's uh, YouTube channel. He is amazing and has lots of excellent content. Puts out a ridiculous amount of videos. I will absolutely uh, plug that channel. Um, I think we've gone through most of them. Escape Prisoner, uh, Cannibal, The Faithful. 
So the hosts, um, one of them is just you're hunted by assassins, which um, I think I took from Al Gonder Scion. Yeah. So this is an example again of one that presumes a lot of the player, and instead I took it and made it so. Um, I just said you wronged someone powerful or someone's either intentionally, accidentally, or unwillingly, or perhaps even your very existence is problematic. The details are entirely up to you, but now you're being actively hunted by well-funded agents and assassins who could show up at any time. So I basically just took that one and made it more open-ended and just said, you're being hunted by someone or something for some reason. All of these are your choices, but that's what's happening. Um, And this is an example of one that has a built-in negative, which is the DM is given free reign to just throw a... Uh, this one I, I drew from uh, the Red Prince storyline in Divinity Original Sin 2, where his whole storyline is he is a lost heir to the throne, although in this case, that doesn't have to be the case at all. And uh, throughout his personal art quest, just assassins will show up to fight, and it's a big battle. Um, now, that could be a tricky thing, and once they really get out like in the middle of the tundra or something, that's going to be a little tricky for me to work around. So hopefully we can you know, advance that while we're decently near civilization. But the idea is the negative is just because of this player secret, um, assassins could show up and I could have fun with using different stat blocks and stuff. And then the benefit of this one is you gain the cunning action trait that rogues do, which is you can dash disengages hide as a bonus action, which again, it's tricky. If anybody's playing a rogue, I don't believe that's the case. But if somebody were to multi-class in a rogue, that would be, uh, tricky but hopefully i can get around using copying and pasting just some class and race abilities as the secrets and it won't be much of an issue the half orc one is the one that i noticed and like oh crap i think someone is playing a half orc so that could be but maybe i can just add that trade on there hopefully that's something i can i can work around um and then i had to replace one of them which is the regged air i mentioned um i Got rid of that one because I think it's too presumptive, uh, too presumptive, and a lot of my player characters seem like they want to be uh, tied to the reged, so I don't necessarily want to make that into a secret. Uh, instead, that might be part of their story, and it could be, you know, again, you could be a spy for them, or you could be hunted by them. You know, you could tie them in with all the other secrets too. Um, so the one I replaced it with is by is the one that I mentioned at the top, which is you are a former cultist, and that one I believe you had the spell. Um, uh, and I don't have a visual to show you because I literally just typed this up in my Google Doc. Uh, I think you have Hunger, or no, is it Arms of Hadar, the first level one? that has like the tentacles coming out. So the idea is you were like a, a cult, and again, you could completely flavor the cult as much as you want, but it was some kind of eldritch tie-in. And you left or were kicked out or, again, whatever reasons you want, but you retained some of those powers. And that one I believe I did whenever you cast that spell using that trait, you have to make a save or roll on the short-term madness. So that's an example very similar to um, Escaped Prisoner and The Faithful, where it gives you an ability that has a negative trait. So that's where my head is with all of these secrets. Um, it's it's still it's a, it's a it seems like a really cool thing for this campaign, and frankly, for all D and D campaigns. But as we've discussed, it's also very tricky to not design the player's stories for them. I know that some players have come to me in the past and said, here's my character. I don't. Can you just make it fit into the story? I don't have any good story ideas or anything. Then I will do that. 
Um, and other times it's the opposite where they'll come and say like, all right, here's, I've got this whole full backstory and here's the thing. And then I need to work around that. Um, so that's always the, the tricky balance to, to find is, uh, how do I give these secrets, make them compelling, but not totally mess up my players, uh, plans. So that's something that, um, hopefully I've accomplished with these new secrets. Hopefully I've made them fun and interesting. Um, and also vague enough where the players can take the secret and then fill in all the blanks that I've got in there so they can develop their own, um, character story or, you know, some of them, um, could be just a footnote, you know, it could just be a thing that happened. And then here's my actual personal quest story, which is also totally fine. Uh, and hopefully the mechanics alone will make that secret not forgotten because they'll want to, uh, you know, feast on corpses or whatever else is going on. Uh, you know, use that relentless endurance trait and all these things. So hopefully it'll work out. Uh, we ended up talking about player secrets for pretty much this whole session, which is fine with me because that's something I definitely wanted to go over and discuss. Um, I think at this point, I'm still looking at doing them live during session zero, but I could definitely be, um, and the other thing is I can ask my players, I can just be like, Hey, this is a part of the character creation process. Um, I've got these player secrets that I'm going to deal out. Do you, A, want me to select them, still giving you the choice between two, but select them to where it would be smart, or just do a random deal, and do you want these at the beginning of character creation, or as a final monkey wrench at the end that you have to kind of work in? So that's something that um, I will think about, and obviously I will have ready for uh, next week's crafting Icewind Dale, as that one will be the one right before session zero. So that week, I'll be able to discuss way more about my actual player characters. So I would recommend not watching that session if you want to be introduced to our characters in session zero, because I will absolutely be talking about the characters, uh, talking about how I'm going to implement them, and all that information. I should have a lot more information by uh, that Thursday, so I think that'll be the main focus. And then finally, once we get into the next week, uh, we're going to go into the more minute, you know, me putting together maps and tokens and talking about what's happening in this session and that session, because we'll be going uh, week to week session by session. So I think that will do it for this week's crafting Icewind Dale. Thank you all so much for sticking with me for the, um, slightly different start and end time. Uh, hopefully I can make it a little more consistent in the future. Uh, and be sure if you're watching this live or you're watching this week, uh, hang out with us tomorrow during our live D and D session. Uh, for lots of giveaways and polls and partying and talking about Chris's awesome campaign that we're wrapping up. And then I will uh, see you all next week for another Crafting Icewind Dale. Mm-hmm.